You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to the show today. Alex and I are both a little bit charged right now. There was a huge accident. We don't even know where. We're very late. I apologize. We're going to sort of tailor the show so that we do not lose any time with Dr. Leslie Korn because it's such an important topic we're covering today. And I don't want to uh, fill it up with anything that we're saying other than uh, what's pertaining to topic today. So let's go right into it. Um, before before I do get into um, talking with Dr. Leslie Korn, I do want to let you know that we are live today. Our number is 416-245-1534. You can reach us on our um, social media sites at the Health Hub RMC on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And feel free to email us at THH at RadioMaria.ca. Our podcasts um, are put up uh, about a week after the show is done. We've just uploaded two of them. One was um, How to Promote Healthy Skin with Charmini Pillay and The Art of Acupuncture with Bill Reddy. Also got a lot, a lot of views uh, so far. So do please subscribe to our podcast. Give us a, a quick, uh, nice little review if you like what you hear. And um, this one today as well will be put up in about a week or so. I want to, before we get into uh, introducing Dr. Leslie Korn, I just wanted to go over a couple of things about mental health. It's such a pervasive topic lately. Some facts that I wanted to sort of lay on the table before we start our interview. This is, uh, these statistics are divided up between two sites. So this is from the Canadian Mental Health Association. In any given year, one in five people in Canada will be, exper- will be personally exposed and have a mental health problem or illness. Mental health affects people of all ages, education, income levels, and cultures. Approximately 8% of adults will experience major depression at some time in their lives. By about the age of 40, 50% of the population will have or have had a mental illness. Suicide accounts for about 24% of deaths among 15 to 24-year-olds and 16% among 25 to 44-year-olds. Of all the questions that came pouring in, it, uh, most of them centered around helping our youth with this issue. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death in both men and women from adolescence to middle age. The mortality rate due to suicide among men is four times that among women. And these from the Center of Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. The economic burden of mental health illness in Canada is estimated at $51 billion a year. This includes health care costs, lost productivity, and reductions in health-related quality of life. In any given week, about 500,000 employed Canadians are unable to work due to mental health problems. 
The cost of a disability leave for mental health illness is about double the cost of leave due to physical illness. So I don't want to rush these points. I want them to sink in with you. Um, but we are going to get right, right into introducing Dr. Leslie Korn. Forgive me if I'm running a little fast here. We just literally sat in our seats and got this show up and going. But about Dr. Leslie Korn, she is an internationally renowned expert in mental health nutrition integrative medicine and trauma who has provided over 50,000 hours of clinical treatment using non-pharmaceutical methods for mental and physical illness. She completed her graduate training at Harvard Medical School, the Harvard School of Public Health and the Union Institute and University. She is the author of eight books, including The Good Mood Kitchen and Nutrition Essentials for Mental Health and writes a blog for Psychology Today. Dr. Leslie lived and worked in rural indigenous Mexico for over 25 years, directing a free natural medicine clinic. She conducts distant work in mental health nutrition, coaches clinicians to incorporate mental health nutrition and complementary methods into their practice, and conducts keynotes and trainings to corporations and mental health agencies about natural medicine for optimal health. Our learning points today are how can nutrition improve mental health? Is there an ideal diet for mental health? And are there warning signs for those struggling with mental health? Dr. Leslie Korn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I apologize for our change in schedule, but uh, I'm sure you know that things do happen and we have to be able to deacon dodge and move around. But I'm very, very happy that you are on our show with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Let's, I think this is such a topic that we want to really dig deep into now, but why don't you start us off with how you got so deeply involved with integrative, um, integrative medicine when it comes to mental health? And maybe you could explain to us what integrative health and the, the mental illness, mental illness and wellness field is. Integrative medicine for mental health really looks at combining the best of both worlds. And so I've uh, worked for many years, uh, over 35 years as a psychotherapist, doing counseling and uh, with real focus on the treatment of traumatic stress, people who had adverse events as children, uh, interpersonal violence as adolescents or adults. And so I've spent many years working with people who've had trauma and noted, of course, that people had not only emotional challenges as a result of these very overwhelming events and, and painful events that's led to intense suffering, but also physical issues. And generally, in our field, we tend to separate mind and body. You go to someone for treatment of the mind, you go to someone else for treatment of the body, but no one was helping the client understand how all the symptoms really were a reflection of the same initial uh, cause. And that became my work, understanding physical problems uh, and emotional. And so integrative means that we integrate the treatment of mind and body and that we integrate the best of all worlds Meaning for me in my work, it means psychotherapy and counseling, but also exercise, yoga, nutrition, herbal medicine, um, uh, nutrition, certainly, um, breathing exercises, um, detoxification, everything that's going to support the whole person to find balance once again, to balance their nervous system 
and to find an accommodation so that they can move forward in life. And that also includes spirituality, too, finding purpose and meaning in life and, and trying to transform these negative events into something positive. So that's what integrative medicine for mental health means to me in my work. How would you define mental illness? I know many different things come under that umbrella, but how do you define mental illness? Well, uh, I, I like to use the word mental dis-ease. We use the word disease, but if you break that apart, it's dis-ease, being out of ease with oneself. Now, certainly we have lots of conventional diagnostic categories uh, that we adhere to for depression and anxiety and panic. But really, I work with the individual to identify what feels right to them and what feels out of ease for them. And so what may be out of ease for one person, meaning dis-ease, may not be for another. I think anything that impairs your ability to function would be a dis-ease. If you are low mood, Uh, but you're getting up in the morning, you're going to work, you've got your relationships, but you've got a little bit of a low mood. Uh, That may not get in the way of your functioning, but it may get in the way of what we call your optimal happiness and well-being. And so for that person, they may feel like they want to work on themselves and really optimize their function. I think many people are, are trudging along through the world really settling for a lower level of functioning than is possible for them. So I work with people, everyone who may be depressed, anxious, have insomnia, chronic pain, but also work with people who want to really optimize their function and really achieve greater happiness and and well-being. In your experience, Is it a trauma that has caused a mental shift for many people, or is there a combination of genetics, environment? What do you think is is the the thrust of this problem right now that we're having? I think the majority of problems we have have to do with exposure to traumatic events. I think what we see, at least in the United States, and I have no reason to believe it's that much different uh, in Canada or the rest of the world, is that uh, childhood can be very traumatic in a number of ways. Um, It can include interpersonal violence, rape, sexual assault, exposure to alcoholism, neglect, divorce. There are a lot of things that affect the developing mind and nervous system. Now, there's no question that a small, a very small percentage of what we think of as mental dis-ease can be triggered genetically. I think we see this in, for example, some of the psychotic disorders or uh, OCD. But I think we can tend to give too much credence to the effects of genetics. And I think that's where a lot of uh, science is going, you know, oh, you've got this genetics, therefore, this is the reason for your mental illness without recognizing what we understand is the science of epigenetics, that mm-hmm. environment and food and nutrition and a variety of exposures can trigger a genetic reflection, a genetic response, or tamp it down and never trigger it. And I'll give you an example in the physical world. You know, we've got 
kind of a concurrent battle with diabetes type 2 right now. And uh, I, a lot of my work is involved in working with First Nations peoples as well. And we've got a lot of language around, oh, these peoples and those peoples are more genetically predisposed to developing diabetes. And I say, well, we didn't have diabetes before the introduction of refined sugar and refined flour into people's lives. How can it be genetic? And so I think we need to be very careful when we blame genetics on mental health and instead look at how the environment and the environmental exposures, including our early life experiences, trigger reactions. Because if we understand those, then we understand not only how to prevent, but then how to treat naturally by safeguarding the environment and improving one's environment. Do you find in your practice that you're treating people across the ages? Yes, I treat uh, everyone from children. Uh, a lot of parents come to me and say their children is hyperactive and their teachers want them on medication. I say, oh, really? And what are they eating in the morning? Are they eating donuts and uh, crispy cakes and sitting all day in front of their uh, handhelds and not moving and not living a natural life? Is that why you think they're hyperactive? Mm -hmm. um, all through people who are aging and concerned about cognitive decline, how to prevent it, concerns about uh, whether they're going to be vulnerable to the development of dementia and how to optimize diet and lifestyle to prevent uh, cognitive decline. So, and everyone in between. Where do you think that as a society, we have um, missed the boat with mental illness? Well, I think we've missed it in a couple of ways. While we've got growing awareness of the role of traumatic events in people's lives, certainly uh, there's still a great deal of denial and certainly we're missing the boat by not effectively preventing the exposure to trauma in children's and adults' lives and particularly in the lives of women uh, in terms of domestic violence, um, violence against LGBTQ community. I think we've got a lot of issues where we're still not dealing with violence, certainly in the United States, I'll speak of. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the other piece is that we're still understanding the role of the mind and the body together, that mental illness or dis-ease also has a physical component. And I think where we're really missing the boat is pretending that diet and nutrition doesn't have anything to do with how the brain functions. And we know that it does. We know that someone, for example, who's breastfed has a leg up in life as opposed to formula. And people are still being uh, fed this idea that, that formula is good or should be used instead of breastfeeding. Uh, we know that when a child during the first year of life gets enough essential fatty acids, that their brain develops fully and uh, well, and they, they rarely have learning disorders. Uh, we know that if they do not get those essential fatty acids, they're more prone to learning disorders by the age of 10. So we have both a, uh, a short-term mission and a long-term mission that we tend to fail at. I think 
finally, um, and I'll speak only for the United States here, we have a failure of our social justice mission to provide good quality food to, uh, and, and to reduce the effects of poverty, which we know makes one vulnerable to the development of mental illness. And so I think we've got lots of failures uh, to provide a safety net and uh, social understanding of what it takes to have good physical mental health. Yeah, we've circled around an area that um, is certainly very successful as far as you're concerned with dealing with people that have mental health issues. And I, I want to spend a lot of time on this because it is a passion of mine. Um, but the point of the, of the overall importance of nutrition and you, you, to, you hone, you talked about it a bit, um, as far as breastfeeding is concerned, but it has come up many times in other sort of arenas, how important it is also for as we, as we get older and, and, and elderly people, that lack of nutrition does very much play into a shift in mental health. So you, this is something that's a passion of yours. You have written books on it, uh, The Good Mood Kitchen and Nutrition Essentials for Mental Health. So obviously, this is something that is of utmost importance uh, to you. So I, I want to give you the stage and, and explain to us why you came to that footing and, and explain really how this plays into our overall mental picture. Well, as I um, said, I worked for many years doing psychotherapy and counseling. I'm also trained as a body worker in cranial sacral therapy. And what I noticed is that talking about mental health was essential, but it wasn't enough. My patients had chronic pain. Uh, they, they did not seem to be getting better, uh, as better as I thought they could be. Certainly, I was working on my own health and well-being and noticing that uh, eating uh, right and eating enough protein to provide amino acids for the neurotransmitters in the brain, eating good quality fats uh, to support brain function, these were all essentials. And so I began working with my clients to change their diet. And as they did, as they got rid of the self-medicating foods, the biggies, sugar, alcohol, really one and the same, that they reduce their inflammation. We know that inflammation is really a contributory cause to depression. It's not some myth of lower levels of serotonin. That's a myth that's never been proven. It was developed to support the introduction of Prozac in 1988. We know that it is an inflammatory process, like a low fire at, at burning in the body that affects the brain and the mind function. And so as I worked with people to change their diet, to get off these self-medicating foods, to get off the poor quality oils like a margarine and canola oil and switch to uh, coconut oil and raw butter, and to really look at what nature has provided us. And this became the essence of my work in nutrition is following Mother Nature. What has nature given us? And if nature didn't give it to us, then why are we creating it in the laboratory? And why do we think that is better for us? 
And so as my work evolved in this area, I noticed that my patients who changed their diet along with adding in exercise and all of these other good things we know make a difference in our mental health, they are the ones who got better. And I mean, not just depression and anxiety, uh, but OCD, bipolar, and by the way, we've got an epidemic of diagnosis of bipolar, uh, but bipolar and mood lability, and this is one of my areas of focus, is often related to blood sugar handling. We've got people who are living on refined flours and um, lots of sugary foods, and those foods affect our moods. As a matter of fact, one of the things in my book, The Good Mood Kitchen, is mood follows food. I guarantee you, if you eat right, if you eat for your mood and get rid of these refined foods, that your mood will improve. Will it improve 25, 50, even 100%? And so this really became the focus and foundation of my work to the point where now that's really my focus is educating people, educating my clients, but also other clinicians to bring the basics of good mood nutrition into their clinical practices. You uh, something that I think we we have to touch upon. You talked about um, the serotonin myth and the introduction of Prozac. In your opinion, is there a place for pharmaceuticals within the mental sphere, mental health sphere? I think the role of pharmaceuticals um, is kind of like the role of salt in our diet. <laughs> We should use it sparingly and only uh, when absolutely necessary. In contrast to how it's used now, which is often the first line treatment, I think the role of pharmaceuticals, for example, might be if someone <clears throat> is really in a very acute anxiety or panic uh, and they might need an immediate pharmaceutical to help them manage to reduce the suffering of the moment while they're waiting to get help and support through other means. Uh, we've got huge numbers of problems with people with psychotic disorders that are managed really quite ineffectively with the psycho um, neuroleptics and the psychotropic medicines. Uh, they're, they're not very effective. They're very uh, difficult they lead to lots of side effects. Um, and I think we've got structural issues around why people with psychotic disorders can't get the kind of help that might really make a difference in their lives. So I'm not a big fan of, of pharmaceuticals. I work with people to get off them or stay off them. But I think the use of them has to be determined on an individual basis. But I think as a general rule, they should be only used, as I say, uh, very sparingly. I think our first line should be psychotherapeutic intervention, movement, uh, good quality food, and, and nutritional supplementation. As a matter of fact, many of the uh, things and nutrients that I use in my own practice and that many people in my field use have similar effects that what pharmaceuticals are trying to affect, but they can affect the brain and the body much more effectively because they're more natural, they're more aligned with the capacity of the body to absorb and to use them. And I use the metaphor with my patients 
uh, you know, if you want to turn a light on, you just need to know what switch to flip. You don't need to take a hammer to the light switch and bang on it. As long as you know where that switch is, just flip it up gently. And that's really the approach of nutrition, both the use of nutrients, herbal medicine, um, and, and foods, of course. What are the first uh, most important steps that you would, you would say to somebody when they want to start implementing nutrition for their, their mental health protocols? I think one, one thing I ask people to consider is what they're going to introduce into their diet that's beneficial and what they're going to eliminate from their diet. And I don't want people to feel like they're going on a journey where it's all about deprivation. I talk in my book about the principle of substitutions. For example, one of the first steps someone can take is to substitute poor quality fats for healthy medicinal fats. For example, virgin olive oil, virgin coconut oil, virgin sesame oil, and raw butter. These are the mainstay fats that you can use. I say throw out your safflower, your corn oil, your margarine, all the fake synthetic stuff. Now, I've never had a patient say to me, oh, Dr. Corn, I just can't bear the thought of eating raw butter. No, of course not. We have to be able to adhere to a program and we have to be able to satisfy our senses and enjoy ourselves. And so I want you to be able to incorporate things that make you feel satisfied and that you're actually eating food that is medicine. So that's the implementation where you add in positive foods and and foods that are going to be medicinal for you. Now, there's no getting away from eliminating sugar. I think the most important step anyone can take is eliminate sugar, but I don't say eliminate sweet. We all love something sweet, and that's why in my book I've got a recipe for a sweet mocha smoothie and actually teach people how to make good chocolate candy sweetened with stevia. And it's something I encourage parents to do when they're teaching their children about nutrition is to make, uh, I've got a recipe for chocolate almond joys made with stevia. And what are better food combinations than chocolate, almonds, and coconuts? It's the best mental health brain food there is. And so again, it's the principle of substitutions. As you eliminate some of these foods that create mood disorders like sugar and refined flours that just suck the vitamins out of us and and affect inflammatory process that affects brain chemistry, we add in and satisfy our sweet tooth. We satisfy our, our need for protein and, and for healthy carbs and for lots of good fats in our diet. So that's, those are some of the basic principles. Add in the good foods as medicine and eliminate some of the, the poisons, but find the good substitutions so that you continue to feel satisfied. And as your mood improves, you just feel better and better about yourself. Okay, before we go to a quick break, um, and I don't, I don't want you to spend a lot of time on this, but if you could just quickly go over why fats, proteins, and carbs, the main macros, are important for mental health. Well, we need fats for the brain. The brain is uh, 70% fat. And so think about when you take your car in for a lube job, you're lubricating everything, and, and our body needs fat 
sort of the brain function and, and to lubricate all the neurons so all the synapses can be snappy and communicate with each other. So fat's quite important. But then you get into the carbs, for example, the, the bitter greens and the dark leafy greens, those help break down the fats in the body so it, it can actually be utilized in the brain. And now carbs, the brain does need glucose. We need good quality glucose in the body, but we need it and to absorb it slowly, not quickly like a shot of, of a drug into the bloodstream. So our, our uh, carbs, whether you eat grains or you don't, um, but your fruits and your vegetables. And also I write about the rainbow diet. I call it the rainbow because you are choosing from all the colors of the rainbow in your carbohydrates. So when you go into the store, you don't have to think as much about vitamins and minerals, but you think about that every color of the food represents different nutrients that we need for our brain and our body. And then, of course, protein. Proteins are made up of amino acids, which are the building blocks of our brain chemistry. And uh, we, you and I, Kathy, have talked a lot about the microbiome mm -hmm. and the importance of different proteins that support uh, the microbiome and the fermented foods, which actually help create the anti-anxiety chemicals in the gut that affect our mood. So that's just a little bit about the principles of why we choose from good quality fats, good whole carbs, and of course, healthy proteins. Great. So we're going to take a quick break, come back, and we're going to dive into um, recipes that you can, you know, give people an idea of how to rework their food. And we never want people to think that they are, you know, eliminating all, all things that are good and substituting just stuff that's good for us. There's a balance between taste and flavor and, and what we're working in. So it's really important. And it's, it's laid out beautifully in your book. And I want to come back and talk about that. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Doors, yeah, I'm trapped in Underwater, can't breathe, suffocating Can't think, yeah, my thoughts be wondering Nowhere to go, guess I'll stand hiding Yeah, yo, feeling so alone The world is kind of scary, so I climb back in my zone Feeling so lost, trying to find my way home Always been an outsider, cast away the unknown I don't know what to do, should I tell my friends? But then again, my friendships may end So I keep it to myself, won't let you in Lord, tell me how much longer before it ends It's like I'm living life through a dark tunnel I can see light, but I can only see it Even though some days I feel like I reached it Only to be knocked back down the tunnel, feeling defeated I start back up, just to stop again Failure becomes my reliable new friend I need to be free to tell I pray the stigma gone, I pray the fear would fail I pray that God will free my mind from this jail cell At least give me some people that I can tell That I can trust Won't write me off as wasted dust I just wish my mind would hush I need a bridge, a bridge. To get from where I am to where I wanna be yeah. I, wanna live. I wanna live Free from all this misery Can you help me? Help me to be free 
Before I let you go, you're not a mistake, and your struggles don't define you. Wrote this song only to remind you your value, priceless. Yeah, you're to die for with a plan and purpose. No, you're not worthless. I know this for certain. No, you're not a burden. We all need to feel pain when someone is hurting. Uh, you gotta know you're worth it. There's hope for certain. You're not alone. There is hope, we are here, here for you, and he is too There is hope, you're not alone, alone. on your own, by yourself There is hope, we are here, here for you, he is too You are listening to The Health Hub Here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to get right into uh, some questions that have been asked uh, Dr. Korn, we had a multitude of questions come in. What I've tried to do is weave them into some of the things that we talked about, pharmaceuticals, suicide, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions about how we can help our kids. So I, I do want to give um, a chunk of time still to recipes and, and, and you giving a, a really good example of how food can be worked into our mental health picture. But I, I do need to get to some of these questions, and I'm going to try and lump them together for you. Um, this is a biggie. Why are our kids suffering so much now? Hmm. Well, uh, it's it's true. I think because we've we've moved so far away from what I would consider our natural heritage as human beings. We're often asking kids to sit for hours and pay attention in school. We've reduced physical activity. Uh, We're focusing all of our attention on um, computers and phones, um, which uh, alter circadian rhythm. Uh, Circadian rhythm is our 24-hour sleep-wake cycle that's very disrupted in our lives now. That governs mood. It governs focus. Um, we're, you know, we're no longer living what I think of as kind of our natural lives as human animals. We're really pushing ourselves in ways that we're not really meant to live. And then when our kids rebel, uh, whether it's through depression or anxiety or insomnia or, or lack of focus, we say, oh, there's something wrong with you. Let's put you in submission here to behave and, uh, do what we need you to do. And then we drug them. And so I think we've really got this whole idea backwards about uh, what modern life is. This is Um, a, sorry, go ahead. No, Uh, no, Just just going into what you, we had a really interesting question. I thought it was a very intuitive question come up. And um, the question is, 
do you feel that labeling the children is helpful or detrimental? Well, I, it really depends on what the purpose of the label is. I think I, I don't think it helps a child to be labeled as uh, having focus problems or ADHD or um, I, what does that have to do with who that child is uh, intrinsically and what their potential is. And we know that these labels and diagnostic categories change over time. You may remember in the 1960s, we blamed mothers for autism. We, we said that autism, when I say we, the mental health community, said autism was due to what was called refrigerator mothers. They blamed women for being cold, and that was the cause of autism. You remember in the 1950s, they did lobotomies to treat people with psychotic disorder or even with a developmental challenges. So I think we have to be very careful about our labels anyway, uh, because labels change over time, and they're often a reflection of culture, and we often end up getting rid of these labels. So that's the first thing. But I, I don't think it helps to give any label unless that label is something someone feels that validates their own inner experience. So if someone says, I'm feeling crazy, I can't sleep, my mood is up and down, I just can't tolerate all of these feelings, and I say this is because of the trauma you have been through and you have PTSD and they go, oh, that's why I feel this way. Sometimes a label can help if it explains something that's very confusing and upsetting to someone. Um, but I do think we have to be very careful about labeling. Well, the one issue that I know of is if you're not labeled, you can't get funding for certain help, which is, it's a double-edged sword, I suppose. But we'll move on from that. And we have just so many questions about helping our kids. And I think that we can get to a lot of them by going in and discussing your book. And one one of the things that um, comes out in your book is you say there's no right diet for everyone. Can you explain that? That's right. You know, we've got such a a trend these days that every year there's a new favorite best diet and then everyone jumps on the bandwagon and says, oh, I'm going to try this or that. But the fact is there is no one right diet for everyone. Some of us are carnivores, some of us are vegetarians, and some of us are somewhere in between. And I think what's important, what we know is if you are a natural carnivore but you are eating a vegetarian or even a vegan diet, you can get anxious and depressed. If you are a natural vegetarian and you're eating too much meat, then you can also get anxious and depressed. And so the real issue is understanding your cultural genetic heritage. Where are your people from? And what are the traditional foods of your ancestors? Because that will give you some idea about the kinds of foods that will nourish you today and nourish your mental health. And so what I write about is how to align yourself with knowing who you are. What is your biochemical individuality? And I begin by doing this by saying what foods make you feel good, make you feel energized, and what foods depress you and put you to sleep after you eat them. And this is the beginning of an exploration that can then lead to laboratory tests, for example, that help me define and work with you to define 
are you a carnivore? Are you a vegetarian? Or are you someone that can eat all kinds of foods and, and do well with that? I really want to showcase your book before we come uh, before we come to the end of the show. Can you give us a few examples? You gave us the one about the almond joy, but can you give us a, a few more examples of the types of recipes that you're really uh, pushing people to try and incorporate into their into their daily diet? Yes, and I also will say that I've tried to focus on recipes that are very cost effective too. Uh, for example, making broths, making bone broths, making meat broths, chicken broths, vegetable broths. These can be done very inexpensively and they can serve as the source for all kinds of delicious soups uh, that are very nourishing. They're very filling. They're a great way to get vitamins and minerals into our kids. Um, I've got uh, different kinds of recipes for lamb. I also write a lot about smoothies. I've got a cherry chamomile smoothie, which we make at night. We know that cherries and chamomile are deeply relaxing. They support melatonin. And so this is an evening smoothie you can make for you or your child to help you sleep. I've got lots of recipes that use onions and garlic because we know they're very good for detoxifying the body and also lifting mood. I uh, use lots of cultural foods, and I think we can learn a lot from various cultures. Uh, for example, I introduced something called hamica, which is the roselle leaf, which you can find in many Mexican and Central American stores. Uh, this is a, a little fruit leaf that um, is a very inexpensive source as an antioxidant. Think about it as a kind of cranberry-type taste, and I give you a delicious, healthy jello recipe, rich in gelatin for your bones and your brain. So we're really looking and working with traditional knowledge here that we've uh, really updated for the 21st century sauerkraut recipes. Do you know that instead of going to uh, your local health food store and spending $25 on a bottle of probiotics, you can buy an organic uh, cabbage and use some sea salt and make some delicious sauerkraut and reduce anxiety by eating a little bit of sauerkraut or kimchi every day. So these are the kinds of recipes I provide. Why do I feel there's a lot about gut health within your recipe, I hear the fermented foods. And I just, that just comes out so clearly in, in what you're, you're getting at the collagen and the bone broth and everything. It's, it's a truly a wonderful resource to have. The Good Mood Kitchen book is, is only one of the outstanding pieces of literature that Dr. Korn has, has um, produced for us. Now, your website is drlesliecorn.com, and I'm assuming that people can go there to get in contact should they have any questions for you. Is there any other way that you would like to let people know how to reach out to you if they so want to do so? I think that's a perfect way. There's a contact form there. I've got a blog with lots of recipes. I've got my books there, and I've got a, a download of, um, of, of a wonderful food mood report, a free download. So there's lots of free resources and there's also links to my books there. And, and if people want to contact me around consultation, they can do that there as well. 
Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for being very understanding of the predicament we threw you into. Uh, we really appreciate it. It's, it's such an important, important topic. And, um, you know, we could do a whole podcast series on mental health. So thank you so much for enlightening our listeners, Dr. Korn, and we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.